Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucksters? What's happening? How's it going? Uh, you all right? Is my tone too chipper for the uh, pandemic situation? How, how, how are you taking it? How's everything with you? How are the kids? How's, how are you holding up? Are you surprised? Are supplies okay? And it, like just a little bit of a, a hello to the people that are by themselves again. Um, I hope you, you're all doing okay. I know there's some people that are trying to stay sober out there and they're getting into the uh, online meetings, I guess, on the Zoom app, which I need to get. Uh, you know, Stay in touch with people through this, friends, family, check in as much as possible. There's no reason now not to text or call or FaceTime or Skype or Zoom your mom, your dad, your close friends. It's important when there's a lack of ability to to sort of touch and hug and and socialize to to do it somehow it's important for people to listen to people to talk to people to feel like they're part of a people thing if you don't do that people start to lose their fucking minds and certainly if you're putting the wrong shit into your brains while you're isolated you're going to lose your fucking mind I mean, it happened to about 35% of this population for what different reasons. But isolation is something that was existed before this. There are a lot of people who are, most of us are isolated in, in terms of how we live our lives in a way. Or else our worlds are fairly small. I mean, there are people that have always worked from home. There are people that didn't have jobs to begin with who are who are shut-ins and at home. There are people that didn't even need to buy food because they'd stocked up on chips and soda and they're still, you know, they're, they're locked in a room, you know, spewing garbage online. That was before this. But isolation is a real problem. I think it's it's one of the issues what that, that so many people that we know and even people that we think might be intelligent can't quite wrap their brain around what's happening, but it's happening. I mean, I'm guilty of it, man. I mean, I'm not out in the world pretending like nothing's wrong, but I'm having a hard time wrapping my brain around the real destruction and pain and death and everything else and the lack of supplies and uh, the hardships that, that people are going through because of this thing, because I'm sitting in my house, I'm alone. You know, I read stuff. I got an email last week from that woman in Italy 
but yeah, there's all of us live these you know sort of isolated you know insulated lives even when in, in, in when there's no pandemic and just to have a consciousness of this thing and you know i'm not being sort of it's not apocalyptic thinking it's not overreacting but it's we're we're in it man and i can't be too glib about it but whew, i just uh, i just hope people are taking care of themselves and more importantly um reaching out to people any way they can that that have been in their lives just to throw a line connect say hello and you know i'm going online i'm doing stuff you know, i'm playing my guitar on instagram you know i'm trying to it's not even have a life i mean there's a lot of what's happening now that used to be the way i lived you know as a young comic you just sit around write and think all day and play guitar and nap and cook food and i guess the point of this is i talked to my buddy dave and he was freaking out he was in a rabbit hole of uh, you know symptoms and statistics and who gets what and what you know what are the outcome it's bad but you can't just sit there and defeat yourself do what you can do in the moment that you can do it for yourself and the people around you. And and don't make it worse than it already is. Just understand the reality. Understand your part in it or your place in the world. And, and try to live your life and, and be ready to be helpful. Or to run. <laughs> right? Where, though? Huh? Where do you run from the bug? Dan Aykroyd is on the show today. And he's like a, one of those kind of one of these guys about you know about the aliens. The aliens here. It's a coronavirus. These renegade strands of RNA looking for a partner to helix with. Ourselves. They're just uh, they're not full bodies. They're just uh, they just need to be full bodies, but they can only do it with ourselves. Virus. Virus. Also, sometimes the the foundation of some relationships. I'm not a whole person until I glom onto you and use you to be a full person to replicate myself and leave you a drained husk. <laughs> Dark. Dark. Right? Dan Aykroyd is on the show. He was around, so I got to talk to him before the shit went down. That uh, to the point where we couldn't leave. We don't know really what's going to happen in terms of that. I, I re- read the order from the L.A. Public Health Department about what is and what isn't essential businesses. And in the media realm, podcasts are okay, sanctioned, essential. So, you know, we do have some episodes, uh, some interviews in the can, which we'll keep using. And I, I think I've got one or two interviews set up for the near future, but uh, I can offer a fairly safe space, just me, and I'm healthy, and I will sit six feet away from you, and I will, I have spray and wipes, so if you come by yourself, we're good, we're golden, so we'll see what happens. If not, if people aren't going to come, we'll figure out another way, we'll figure out another way, but panic, so I had some panic, everyone's having panic, do we have it, do we not have it? Am I just a carrier? Do I have it and it's not going? Is it not showing? Well, the testing, I don't have exact information on on how they're prioritizing that, but it seems to be people who have been around people who have confirmed uh, 
it and I, I don't know. I just know there's not enough of them and it's a little chaotic and it's hard to stay isolated but want to you know check you know what if you need to go to the doctor i know but i've had panic i've woken up like why is my chest fucked up why do i why is my chest heavy why can't i breathe right and then i realized like oh that's what happens when i panic but i also realized as some of you know or remember when we had a sponsor here that everly well did the food sensitivity thing and it happened to be all the foods i was eating at that time like I had a high sensitivity to egg whites. I had moderate sensitivity to almonds and yogurt and kale and uh, cashews. Like all the healthy shit I was eating, I had sensitivity to. And right a week or so ago when this all started going down, you know, the stockpiling, storing food, I was like, fuck it, man. You know, I, I'm not really allergic to this, anything. Those sensitivities were bullshit. I'm going to get kale. I'm going to get almonds. I'm going to get cashews. And sure enough, for the last week, I've had a little tightness in my chest. And uh, guess what's a symptom of allergies? Yep. Got no fever, got no other symptoms. And I didn't eat uh, almonds or any of them yesterday, and it feels better. And I've been hiking. and But uh, it is where I feel stress as well. You can manifest symptoms with your brain if you commit with panic and fear and your brain. You know, you can focus and manifest almost all symptoms so don't fuck your head like that all right try to relax i've been uh writing a bit actually not so much i've been cooking a lot and i've been um watching some movies i haven't seen catching up on series watched cassavetti's movie last night playing guitar spending time with my cats um and talking to you and doing shit around the house and hoping for the best, but it's definitely a scary time. Definitely a scary time. And I had this thing happen, and it's been happening, and I need to fucking put it out there, and I don't even know if I can explain it properly, to be honest with you. Because it makes me nervous. I don't know what it is or what to do about it. Okay, I'm going to try to lay it out. Because I tried to talk about it on Tom Sharpling came over and did a, a an episode of The Best Show in my driveway where he threw a cord out his window and I hooked up one of my mics and Lynn Shelton and myself, um, me and Lynn Shelton, however the proper way to say that, uh, Lynn Shelton and I, I don't know, uh, stood outside his car and, and did an episode of that and I tried to communicate exactly what I was feeling uh, to describe this phenomenon that's happening to me. It has to do with my phone and my brain. Okay, first off, I guess, like, have any of you had a, a genuine out-of-body experience, like a, a near out-of-body experience, where you may not have gotten far and you may not have gotten all the way out, but you just all of a sudden have this a, a strange consciousness of your body as something other than you, I guess is the way to put it. Like, that you you kind of, like... Your brain sort of has a consciousness of the fact that it's just housed in this thing that moves. And it, that's the, the sort of feeling. You know, obviously the brain is in charge of the thing, but there is, because the self is housed in the brain or somewhere like that, the self is sort of like, wow, I think I'm just going to cut loose here. Do you know that feeling where yourself tries to cut loose from the body, from the vessel, or gets a little distance from it? 
even almost leaves. Well, my point is that that's the feeling I'm getting sometimes when I look at my phone too much. If I'm just in my phone, I'll all of a sudden realize like this, like that my body is separate than me. Uh, my brain and self is connected with the phone and somehow my hand is holding it, but I've got nothing to do with that. Does that make sense? It's happening a lot. There's a sort of disassociation to it and it's sort of creeping me out. It's sort of like, this is the singularity. It's happening to me personally. Can anyone, do you, is that making sense? Should I be concerned? This is no time to go to the doctor to try to explain that phenomenon that I just tried to explain to you. Now is it? No. All right, well, look, Dan Aykroyd, uh, he's, pre- he's always promoting his Crystal Head Vodka line. He's also back as Ray Stance in the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife. But he was one of the guys. He's one of the original guys. He's one of the original SNL guys. And, and this is me talking to him. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Are we gonna roll here? Sure, we, yeah, let's well, do it. Well, let me know because I then I can formally uh, let me say acknowledge where yeah. I am. Sure, yeah, uh, we're on. I love your location here in Culver City. <laughs> Uh, thanks for sending the golf cart. You know, I'm just across the road here at Sony at Ghost Co. Yeah. The Ivan Reitman administered sure. Ghost Co. Yeah. And, uh, so, uh, it was great to be uh, so close to the studio and get over here that way. Thanks. We took the tunnel, uh, from the, the old Sony Columbia tunnel, the one that Harry, uh, what was his name? Uh, Mayor, Louis oh, yeah. B. Mayor had. Yeah, sure. Uh, and we took the golf we cart. We tried to make uh, it conven- convenient for you. Oh, wow. So great. I love that. Uh, and then you come here and it's the old film tower, right? Yeah. At Culver City. So we went up the elevator yeah. and here we've got a beautiful view of the city and, uh, what a spot! Yeah, isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. It's a, no, you're the first guy to, to actually admit where we were, and to, I, I, I try to keep it a secret, and I appreciate. I'm sorry, I knew this no, was no, a satellite no, to your I, real location, which incidentally, folks, uh, I couldn't get to because uh, Mark came down, you know, for to see me, uh, yeah. uh, and I was going to go up. But you are in a missile silo. In, yeah, um, that's right. I think it's uh, North Dakota. That's right. Yeah, uh, this is a uh, you know I come out here occasionally yeah. to uh, to interview people, and they let me use this. This is the only location I'll use. Uh, I love the missile silo. Um, you know, my brother and I were I'm looking sorry, to buy they, one. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, man. there's yeah. no missile in it, but no, but, but it, uh, it has the whole uh, the, t- the 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 tube and it's quiet. Uh, you know, it's nice down there, oh, and yeah. uh, you know, it, it, we just got refrigeration working on a on a steady basis. Mm-hmm. You know, it, yeah. it was all battery run initially. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, this is where some some of us have to be in the world if we're talking about things that matter. 
Uh, it's great to be with <laughs> you, man. Uh, you know, nice to be with you. You know, you got uh, a lot of papers. Uh, you come prepared. You you, I, you broke it down. What do you uh, What do you got on the papers? What, well, what's the plan? I, well, first of all, seems like, like you plan more than me. You're a great uh, interviewer, mm. and uh, you know, you interviewed Terry Gross, and I, I did. I just well, I just kind of was curious because. She got me to reveal secrets about myself. You know, she has that voice. Did she really? She did, yeah. You know, like, you know, that I eat worms or whatever. I, I, well, I do don't you eat fried worms? Well, uh, I don't know what I revealed, but, you know, she yeah. she, she really gets mm. you to talk about yourself and then you're introspective. And, you forget she's there. She's it's, not there, She's though. unbelievable. She's uh, she's usually on uh, satellite. You, you, yeah. you didn't sit with her, did you? No, no, no. You just, you just you got, you're sitting by I got, yourself? But she, she put the hypno coin on me and, oh. Yeah, she, it's Terry, very hypnotic, yeah. 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 And, you, and if, if you listen to NPI, you're very used to her. Uh-huh, you're comforted yeah. by her mm-hmm. her presence in your head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's happening. Did she come into the studio? Uh, no, here, I, interviewed, I, inter- I did a weird, uh, not a weird gig, but it was when she, we did a live gig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she chose me. She said she would do this radio. Uh, it was a, a radio benefit, I think, show. And she said if I interviewed her, she would do it. So it was actually live in front of about 2,000 people that we did it. Yeah. Oh, neat. So oh, it's, wow. It was tricky. You know, it was tricky because she's not really that type of show person. Yeah. And to sort of keep it candid and figure out a way in. Yeah. Uh, but at that point, that was several years ago. And I think it's still kind of like that. People know very little about her. So you could find a way. Mm-hmm. You know, there was gaps in the mm-hmm. s- small amount of information that was available mm-hmm. that would uh, sort of like what happened there. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah. What because else you got she on the but- She's buttoned up. Uh- you know, uh, but you she's a great man. You know, I think right. she's buttoned yeah. up on the radio, but she's a master broadcaster. Though. Oh no, yeah. she's great. And you, yeah. you, it uh, seems to me that uh, your <clears throat> life is you have a, a, a sort of weird, deep respect for broadcasters. Oh uh, well, <laughs> um, as a veteran of uh, twenty six years of House of Blues Radio Hour, and my persona is Elwood Blues. Forgive me for the cheap Chicago accent, but yeah. really, you know, sure, I, I'm an adopted uh, son of that city, so sure. I, I can do it from yeah, that, of that course. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Elwood was on there on the radio. We had the House. Blues but when you were hour. a kid, it must have like something about it must have planted well, the know, seed or wired you that way. Well, I don't know. My, I, you know, my dad gave my he's he was ninety eight yesterday. Congratulations! My dad is an old engineer there, and, and and I used to watch the black and white television, yeah. the the uh, Ud Sullivan show. Yeah. And so my dad one day he took he chopped off the top of a hockey stick, yeah, and he he took a, a black uh, electrical tape and he made it into a microphone. He put a little cord there, yeah, made it into a toy microphone and gave it to me. And yeah. I started to imitate announcers and yeah. and that one. So I that's was, when I it started. It did, yeah. You were the fascinated. Voices, I love the voices. I loved uh, all the impressionists that were on those shows. Could you, know? you do Ed Sullivan? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Too many people will remember this next gentleman who's been on the show so many times. Of course, tonight we have Wayne Schuster. You know, he was he was a uh, gossip columnist. It's, it's close to Nixon, isn't uh, it? Uh, well, no, Nick no, I guess down not. Here, uh, yeah. down in here, um, yeah. And I could say some uh, profanities, but I'm not. You can. Know. You're allowed to here, uh, Mr. Presley. So good to have you in the uh, White House today. <laughs> Imagine when him and Elvis <laughs> met. You know, good but, to be here. But uh, it, it's just great uh, that you're going to help with the drug effort. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, uh, tonight Topher Gigio, yeah, Topher Gigio, and uh, the Flying Relentless. So uh, it, it was. You know, he was a he was a gossip columnist, and there's a famous movie. You yeah. know it. 
called, um, you know, Sweet Smell of Success with yes. Tony Curtis. Right. And J.J. Uh, Hunsecker, who played by Burt Lancaster. Well, that, Ed Sullivan uh, was the was the basis for that character. Was he? I he, thought it was the other guy. Uh, uh, Walter Winchell. Walter yeah. Winchell. Walter Winchell. Both of them kind of, they really, they were kind of muckraking gossip scandal guys, but they par- parlayed their careers. Winchell into a columnist, of course. Very influential. And then Ed Sullivan what? into the Variety Show host. Now, when Winchell's memorabilia sold, yeah. no one bought it. Oh, is that true? Did you know that? They, I had no idea. His hat, his typewriters, his pencils. No one gave a shit. No one bought Walter Winchell's. <laughs> no one cared, what, What's Dan? that say about a tabloid reporter's life? I, it means people thought hat. he was garbage. In well, the... well, Walter Winchell had a spectacular voice, and you'll, yeah. you'll remember it from. In 1932, Elliot Ness and his untouchables raided a warehouse on the north side of Chicago. <laughs> Frank Nitty was caught in, you know. Yeah. Mr. Ness, and yeah. of course, Robert Stack. But when you, you grew up in the back, Toronto? Uh, I was born in Ottawa, Canada. Yeah. Uh, and I am a Canadian through and through. And here's how Canadian I am. I was born on July 1st. That's Canada. Day. Yeah. That's the Independence Day of Canada when we became a dominion of the crown. I was born a uh, grandson of a Royal Canadian Mounted Police Staff Sergeant. Did my you know him? My mother was French. I knew Eddie very well. And my uh, mother was French-Canadian and my dad was a high Anglican-English man. And so, uh, so he wasn't from quarters, Canada. He was no. He was from he was from uh, Toronto. So yeah. a wasp. So it was okay. kind of the French Catholic wa- uh, right. wasp marriage. French Catholic marries a wasp. Grew up and Catholic though. I was raised Catholic. My dad converted for my mom's family. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, he he. I was at I was at my dad's baptism there. Him kneeling there and. Uh, and uh, and also his confirmation. That's when, a weird when moment. The bishop slapped right? him. Yeah, weird remember, moment. Remember? Uh, yeah, it was a weird moment. The but, bishop slaps you even as a grown man. Uh, confirmation. Yes. Yeah. You get the whack. You know. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. Of the bishop, and then and as a little kid, you get the whack from the bishop. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah. And that's sort of like welcome. Well, yes, because you know you're being now the Holy Ghost is visiting you when you get mm. that whack. You know, oh, okay. Oh. Right. And some see. Some yeah. see the Holy Ghost as Did I you? do. As I do today, I see the flame every day. Every day. Every day, I see the flame, but. My dad uh, was a very interesting man. He's, uh, he was an old uh, kind of crap, you know, engineer, road engineer. What does that and, mean, uh, road engineer? What uh, he, he built highways. Okay. Yeah, he built highways. So he's out in the world with the, uh, the uh, navigating. Bulldozers. Uh, and, uh, yes, he, was, he, he blew the top off a granite mountain, hmm. and I watched him do that as a kid. You know, really? had a great upbringing. So I'm very Canadian, born in Ottawa, capital city, grandson of a Mountie, French-Canadian mother, high Anglican wasp father. Brother, sister. Uh, I have a brother, Peter, very funny. You'll know him uh, out there in the world as the Java Junkie. Do you remember that uh, clip from SNL? Yes. Do you remember that clip? Yes. That great performance as a guy drinking coffee. Right. The film by Tom Schiller. Yeah. Schiller. So, is Schiller still around? I believe so. He's a director. Uh, he does uh, all kinds of stuff in commercials and uh, and short films. He was so brilliant. You know? So, so the my Catholic- brother's a Java Junkie. Yeah. So, so I'm Canadian. I was born in Ottawa. But the Catholic thing, like you mm. know, like how like how religious were you brought up? Pretty strict. Let me say, I went back as far as being an altar boy. Then yeah. I had to get up at at seven and eight years old. I was getting on a bicycle yeah. and, and bicycling to the church. Yep. And serving mass. Mm. And then I went into, uh, I was actually uh, hodwinkled uh, to go into uh, a seminary. I went Mm. into, I was, uh, I attended St. Pius the 10th Minor Preparatory Seminary for Boys uh, in Ottawa. Were you thinking about doing the Uh, thing? Well, the interview was very interesting. We were with Father Lunny, a great uh, priest and a great mentor. Uh And my uh, mom and dad were sitting there with me and Father Lunny looks at me and my dad and mom wanted me to go to this Catholic school, not go to the public school. And he looks at me and says, Dan... uh, so you are here. You're considering a, a vocation here. You you you'd like to join us 
in our calling. And yeah. I, I, uh, my, here's my response in front of my parents yeah. and Father yeah. Lonnie. Yeah, yeah. see my mom wants me to go to the school and my dad would relieve him because it was on the way to work he could drop me off oh yeah yes so you'd like to be a priest oh wow (laughs) so we did three three years of that and uh, (laughs) it was a good uh, upbringing and I learned a lot and there were some terrific people there at that school uh, between 58 and 78 St. Pius had all boys there and there 5,000 of us went through there guess how many became priests out of 5,000 400 two Two people? Two people. <laughs> so it was just a school. It was just an education. <laughs> well, it was it was an experience, you know. Um, I, I So I was uh, pretty, you know, pretty Catholic there but you all believed, the way through. You believed. Well, I believe, in, I believe in the cosmic engineer. I believe right. uh, I didn't buy a lot of the hoojee-boojee, but I think that the words of the Christ and the lessons the of Christ can be, uh, you know, can be... Yeah, there's some hoojee bougie going along with like that. There's centuries religion. of hoojee bougie. And I think my question, though, when I was thinking about you coming over, was that I realized that if you have the the foundation of believing, it, the ability to suspend your disbelief and believe in God at uh, any point in time in your life, it kind of makes you vulnerable to believe in just about fucking anything. Well, here's the thing. Uh, people do believe in anything. Uh, Catholics believe in the Virgin Mary. The Mormons believe in the Angel Morani and the golden plates and the magic spectacles. The uh, scientists believe... In the underwear. They believe in, yes, and they believe, uh, you know, the Scientologists believe in Zenu, the super god, and, you know, the, the, uh, yeah. the in the Hindu right. religion, there's a belief of Vishnu. So what my approach to it now is, okay, believe yeah. what you want. I am not here to question what you believe. If you believe... That there was a zinger up in the sky that hit the Virgin Mary and caused Christ to come into the world. And I say I, I'm a fan of Christ. I really yeah, am. a zinger. Uh, you know, if that zinger was true, then, you know, and you believe in that, fine. Uh, it's, up, it's up to people to have their own beliefs and not for me to question. And, and, and really not for me to be questioned on my belief as a spiritualist. I'm a spiritualist. I that's, believe. An old, that's an old title, spiritualist. Well, it comes from basically the 1800s. Was it theosophy? Was it a Blavatsky thing? That was, she definitely was a part of that movement. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's a, more of a, it's a belief that not only does the energy of the soul survive, but mm. the consciousness mm. sur- survives after death. We're surrounded by him. Uh, Many consciousnesses. I, I think so. I think yeah. so. There was an old. Uh, I got you my dad's book here, History of Ghosts. And well, it, I, it was sort of interesting to me that you come from this. It's decade. It's like centuries it, of. It, yeah, it, it is. Uh, since really, uh, my great grandfather Sam was a dentist, and he started exploring this stuff in the twenties. And in the book here, it talks about a guy named Arthur Findlay, yeah. and, and he was a medium in England, mm. and he was very good at it. He mm. brought Channel forth many, many entities, and he used to go to the theater. And he'd be sitting in the theater, mm. just try to watch a movie, and then all these voices would come yeah. from where he'd been channeling, and the people mm. around him would go, "Shut up, man!" What? He brought the entities with him. I yeah. thought that was a very funny I, but story. But I was—I've been here sitting with you for ten minutes, and I've—I've I've heard at least a dozen entities. <laughs> <laughs> The so best one is <laughs> July 1932, Elliot Ness and his untouchables. Rico, Rocco. You know. That's a good the best. The best one is Robert Stack, though. Yeah. Lee, Rico, bring around unsolved mysteries. <laughs> a man walks down a beach. A pebble hops up at him. Who's inside the pebble? You're channeling. I love him. Now, we've lost a great man in Hollywood recently, Kirk Douglas. Yes, uh, 103. Uh, too young, too young. Uh, too young. <laughs> My dad's 98, and he goes to me, no more, no more. <laughs> um, Kirk uh, and I, uh, 
shared a movie set. I was f honored to have made a film with him. John Asher directed it. Yeah. John Asher is kind of Hollywood royalty himself. You know, yeah. his mother was Elizabeth Montgomery, right. and his father was a producer and and writer. And uh, John directed this uh, this this film. What was it? And it was Cameron. called Diamonds. Hmm. And uh, Kirk played. Uh, it was about you know the sunset sundowning syndrome in Alzheimer's, and I had I played a son, his son, who had yeah. to put him in a home eventually. Oh. But there's a scene in there where they, where he insists on driving, you know. And this oh, is he funny. Did. Yeah, he was, he was ninety was in his oh, mid nineties. Yeah, you know? right. and, uh, So we take the, he goes, he sits in this car, and he says, yeah. "I'm driving, and we, I'm going to drive this scene." And he he was there. He was, and he. Great stunt driver. Oh, know? really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> on oh, purpose? Yeah. I, I wasn't scared at all. I wasn't scared at all. But what a pleasure. Like, and had my dad came on the set, too, at the time. So to have the two of them sitting Five there, years apart. You know. Having uh, a good time. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. So, okay. But the, the spiritualism and the channeling and, uh, I, and also the idea that we don't question others' beliefs. But you would question others' beliefs if they had dangerous intent or violent <sighs> intent. Um. Sure, yeah. sure, okay. of course, Good. of course, absolutely, Ab absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, and uh, boy, there's enough malevolence in the world that we should be questioning mm -hmm. what's what's going on. You know, yeah. have you read this book, The Uninhabitable Planet? No, but I feel it coming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> how much do but, I need to know? I don't know, but in our time, it was the bomb shelter. I mean, with me, I mean, I'm a little older than you. Yeah, you know, I remember when I was in primary school, and I'm I'm sitting there, and, and I put this in the Blues Brothers, by the way. They they showed up one day, and they they put up an air raid siren. Mm. You know, right, yeah. in the, right, a pole right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the one that was on the top of the car. And the funny thing is, retro in in retrospect, they would have not been helpful at all, really. No, no, no. Because by, by the time an ICBM yeah, hit wherever it was, yeah, you'd hear it's over. it would be <laughs> done. Mm. An ongoing. We lived under the horror of that, the nuclear horror, sure. right? you know, and uh, so that was what we were living under. And then there was polio. But you know, with was, the nuclear you know, horror, you know, there was just a, you know, they, there was a, at least a human element to it in terms of like that, someone's going to push a button. And, yeah. and with this environmental L thing, it's sort of like yeah, I think the button's already been pushed, and uh, no one's going to take their finger off it. So it's different. Until, yeah, I mean, this guy's saying we reach close to two point eight degrees, and you know, we're going to see planetary rises of of, of 10, 50, 15 feet in places. And so I think you know the real estate industry industry should be really on board yeah, with yeah, this. Yeah, Miami, New York, they're talking about the seawall in New York. They've got it figured out in Rotterdam. Yeah, you get the beachfront uh, beach property in Nevada. Uh, yeah, is or on 30 second, 32nd Street, too. <laughs> yeah. So, so you're in Canada, you're not going to be a priest. You're, you, you know, when do you start sort of getting involved in the comedy? Well, I all the way, how about grade 10, grade 9, grade 10, grade 11, yeah. class. Yeah, sure. You know, in sure. class, there's yeah. me and another guy there. Yeah. And no, no, that was bad and then uh then i i did plays and i did uh sketches and yeah. stuff you and, did sketches uh, in, in in high school and yeah all yeah. throughout high school and, and in college i was in a uh performing group uh, and was uh you know one of the one of the minor players what group there. was that it, it was at carlton university which is a very good university in ottawa Canada. do you know any of the fellows that was in the group with you now um i haven't seen them they went on to great careers did as they? directors and and uh yeah directors and and uh and, and there were many good actresses there Went on to great careers in, in uh, Stratford and Shakespeare up in Canada. No kidding, because yeah. I was just, I didn't realize, like, I was recently shooting a movie in Hamilton. Mm -hmm. Oh, I yeah. love that town. Well, it's, I love the hammer, it, man. Wow. Great people there. When was the last time you've been up dead there? In, dead infrastructure, you know. Uh, no, it's... A, but, it's but I didn't realize there was such a... Thriving bar scene. Uh, <laughs> there's a thriving something scene. No, no, it's cool. They're trying yeah. to come back around. They're yeah, trying, you know, interesting. It, what, it's, what, I was there, uh, well, there's a, a, a pretty big 
film uh, industry that's spreading sure throughout has. Canada. Of course. And Hamilton's made itself available for, for those dicier Were you shoots. playing a steel work? No. No, I was playing a, a record A&R guy, a, oh, P, a PR agent. What's the film? I'd be very interested it's about, to see that. Uh, it's about uh, David Bowie's first trip to the States. Oh, neat. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. It should be interesting. A small movie. Who plays Bowie? Bowie is played by this guy, Johnny Flynn, who is a, mm -hmm. a popular uh, English uh, cool. songster. I recently played Jerry Wexler in a movie. Oh, yes. no kidding. I knew Jerry, of course, because he was, when we were at Atlantic with Blues Brothers, I knew Did Jerry you, and, yeah. and Ahmed and Nesui. And they were all alive uh, then. Yeah, was when friends. was that, the 80s? Uh, I'm at, I knew Ahmed good. I knew, well, well, Ahmed, Ahmed, Dan, But Jerry was more like this, right? Jerry yeah, talked yeah, like, uh, yeah, like yeah, this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. You're great. Wow. So that's <laughs> fun, man, Being, playing parts like that. I played a... Uh, I think uh, I played James Brown's manager in, in Get On Up. Uh, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. That's right. You were kind Mark, of, uh, yeah. 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 But the, the reason I brought up Hamilton is I had no idea that it was uh, such a big comedy uh, sort of source. Mm -hmm. I mean, didn't Ivan go to, Ivan Reitman go to. Marty Short. Yeah, they all Eugene come from Levy. there. Right. Eugene Levy, Marty Short. Um, Marty Short's brother is a great writer, of course, and uh, and Ivan Reitman. Yeah. Out of the, yeah. And I had no idea when I was there, I was sort of like, this place is falling apart. But yeah. Yeah, but then people were like, it's got an amazing history. It does, it does. Well, the university is very strong there. And, uh, you know, but you didn't go there. I didn't, no. I went to Carleton. But I like I like the hammer because, you know, I love dead technology. and uh, Dead technology? You I, have I love the look of it. Rusting I think it's vats? Very, yeah, cinematic. Yeah, you know, oh, cinematic look, it's great. And, you know, there's a, have you been there? I performed out there at... Uh, it's a place called uh, Steelworks yeah. in, in Pennsylvania, mm -hmm. which was the a Bethlehem. Giant, the uh, they, Bethlehem. They turned into a mall. Yeah. Well, it was. It's actually an art space. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and and you perform, and behind the the stage, it's all windows, and there's the dead steelworks there, uh, Bessemer they, furnaces, and they light them up. That's right. They were, of course, those were Carne Carnegie's furnaces, uh -huh. and, and and Phipps and those guys. So you're fascinated with uh, dead uh, technology. I'm well. I'm also fascinated with the Industrial Revolution and just uh, you know how fast it's gone from coal and coke and rail steel yeah. production like yeah. 1880 to now yeah how fast we've heated up the planet and i think oh yeah that, that's what that's what fascinates me is the yeah, speed and, it's of great that, that, and the uh, speed of innovation sure too. and it's so it's so exciting that, that uh, we have other nostalgists uh, who are currently in power that seem to think that coal is a good idea again <laughs> well, you know, there is a way to do it. Yeah. And the way to do it is you've got to have a scrubber on there that just eats up all of your profits. So you're 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 providing energy to the consumer and you're burning coal to do it, but there's no profit in it. You've spent it all on your scrubbers. Now, if there's a company that's doing coal out there willing to do that to go out there and spend all of the money so that it's clean, still in business for the consumer, but any profit that's out of it uh, goes to keeping the scrubbers going. I think it's it could be feasible because yeah. a lot of countries need power. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and nuclear power scares you. Yeah, uh, how do you feel about it? I well, I'm not. I'm mixed on it. Mm. Um, Germany has removed all of the nuclear plants. Mm. Um, we've got, but we have a leading environmental uh, cause advocate, uh, Bobby Kennedy Jr., saying you know nuclear may be a choice. Mm. We do have it in Canada. We've never had an accident. Uh, Three Mile Island was uh, an interesting occurrence. Then Fukushima, pretty bad. Chernobyl, eh. You know, you had cows dying in Pretty Oregon bad. from, from, Pretty bad. from the, That's bad. the fallout. Did you watch the show? Did uh, you watch the series? What a beautiful piece wow. of television. Wow. No kidding, acting. man. Wasn't, right? Everybody was Fucking perfect. Incredible. Oh, just beautiful. Yeah, just beautiful. Man. I love that. So, I love that. That was so great. So you're doing, so when do you meet Lorne? Like in Canada. I saw you, yeah, you, interv you interviewed him. Well, in, in 1960... You did two days with Lorne. <laughs> yeah, did you? Yeah, yeah, well, pretty fascinating. One of the, probably the greatest impresario of our time. For, He's something, for, for, huh? Yeah. 
But and, I mean, you, you know, St. Knew... Michael's College, University of Toronto. Uh-huh. That's Lauren. Uh, I was. Uh, I I went and. Uh, Went to the CBC with a with a, a friend of mine and a yeah. partner, Valerie Bromfield, and we went together. We, we had some written some material as a team, and we got a cable show in uh-huh. in, in Ottawa. It's my belief that any talented person, if you stay in Canada, will eventually get a show. I, I yeah, a government yeah, sponsored exactly, show. That's what I mean. So that's yeah. what we were looking for yeah. a government sponsored show. We showed them our. We had a show called Change for a Quarter. It was fifteen minutes of comedy. We brought the tape in. It had a handle on it. it was a full inch wide videotape like the size of it was a foot across yeah. a full inch wide and a handle mm. that's how big the, the so we brought that in and uh, showed it to a few executives and they said well you know it's not really our kind of thing here on this floor <laughs> but downstairs there are a couple of guys putting together a new comedy thing yeah. and it's new people and it's young that lauren michaels and hart pomerantz so we got an interview yeah and lauren hired valerie and i for a summer TV special called The Great Canadian Humor Test. So in 1969, I was not still out, I still wasn't out of college. I was still at Carleton. Uh, he hired me that summer to play old men, basically. Yeah. I, I don't think I, in one character was was over, you know, was under 40 in that So show. what was your impression of him, like, uh, immediately? Loved him immediately. The yeah. brilliance, the wit, the fun, the sense of uh, being guided by a, a true mentor with... Massive knowledge of uh, you know the TV uh, comedies of the fifties. Oh the, yeah, of the of yeah of the the Catskills. And what was Hart like? Hart was funny. He was a lawyer. Oh yeah, he was yeah. funny. And uh, Lauren had shoulder length hair and a, and a Zapata mustache. Uh-huh. And, and Hart was uh, and they did a, an act together. And one of their components was the Great Canadian Humor Test. Right. And Valerie and I were on there. So that's when I met him. Then uh, a couple of years later, I'd been at Second City, and uh, I, I you were at Second City. I, I was at Second City uh, in Toronto. Yep. 70, 71, 72. Who was the crew? Uh, Radner. Yeah. Uh, Candy. Yeah. Uh, O'Hara. Yeah. Levy. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jerry Salzberg was brilliant. Rosemary Radcliffe. Uh, Martin Short was in and around there with the Godspell kids, uh-huh. the Second City and Godspell kids. And so the yeah. kids from Godspell kind of migrated over that, to Second City. And, and that was, was the first production of Godspell. It, it was. It was pretty famous. Yeah. Yeah. That's what. Now, when I met those kids, I was driving a mail truck and, and I was on the radio at City TV. With Lauren got me that job as well. He did? But you weren't working for him? Uh, not, not, not at that point. What so, were you doing on the radio? Uh, I was a shot box announcer, you know, doing like a fast, uh, fast rap kind of announcing, you know. So, and, so it's, that's part yeah. of your blood. It was. I worked for Moses Neimer at City TV. I was a game show announcer and a, and a, and a, a commercial announcer. In 69? Uh, 70, yeah, 71. And then mm-hmm. I drove across country in 72 in my slush six uh, Chevy Biscayne. Yeah. And we drove from uh, Toronto to New Orleans to Tijuana. Or, who? Uh, my friend uh, John DeVicus, yeah. the artist who uh, designed all the Ghostbusters stuff. The, oh, yeah? Yeah. Still uh, around? He's still around, the Viking. Yeah, he's good. We drove across and we stopped in L.A. and Lauren put us up at his suite at the Shadow Marmot. When he, he was out here there. writing for Lily Tomlin, Lily and, Tomlin and and yeah, uh, yeah Lily yeah. Tomlin and and uh, laughing. Yeah, and he said, uh, Dan, I'm going to uh, I'm going to reinvent uh, the live television of these fifties. He put you up at the Chateau. He put me up in his room and uh, sad prophecy. And we we were there and uh, John and I. And he told yeah. us he wanted to do a Coldgate Comedy Hour and the Sid Caesar Show, and he was able he was going to recreate it in New York on stage where they did it and he was going to do live and he was real smart he he, he when they offered him a pilot yeah. he said no no i want to do seven and he said you were in no not exactly um no. he said he, he said i want to you know he's just telling me about the concept and i'll sort of i'll call you then i did i did have to audition a couple of times i was not accepted right away i did have to audition, even though i knew him and i had a history i think part of the problem was that belushi and i had met 
And we'd already formed like the Blues Brothers and Where'd some other you ideas. We met at uh, my 505 club, the little speakeasy that I had. You had a speakeasy? And I had an after hours club in Toronto. Where? In Toronto? 505 Queen when, Street East. While you were driving the truck? Uh, after time? this is Second City time. He came over uh, to to Second City to raid us for to raid uh, Gilda for Nat Lampoon, and I met him that night. And we'd cook, oh John, John Belushi, and we'd cooked up. Yep, we'd cooked up the the, the the Blues Brothers by the time we got to our Saturday Night Live audition. Did he know a lot about the Blues? Not too much. He was born to heavy metal, but he was from Chicago. He t- had been all to all the great places, had ar- heard all the great artists, but he was born to heavy metal. A hard rock at that time, I would and think. And that no? stuff. Grand yeah. Funk and, oh, uh, yeah. oh yeah, he loved the, you know, Grand Funk and Cream and all that. But, so Lauren was afraid that we, we'd met, we already had the Blues Brothers concocted. Well, he, he didn't want a cabal. Lauren looked at the two of us and said, uh-oh, that's a trouble. power base that might be trouble. Now, you guys, though, like when you, like first going back with, to the Viking, when you drove to New and Orleans. And it was trouble. Of course. Immense trouble. How could it not I, look, be? Gray hairs on Lauren's head are probably single-handedly caused by <laughs> John and, and I and maybe Ch- Chase. It's Chase, yeah. I mean, he still causes uh, gray hairs for people. But um, So when you go across country, you go to New Orleans and stuff, you're stopping in to see music, and you, is that part oh, of the journey? Sure, jazz fest, absolutely. Yeah. Rock and doopsy, man. Love it, right? Clifton Chenier. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bojok, the Zydeco. great Zydeco players. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love oh, yeah. that stuff. Professor Longhair. Oh, uh, love Saw him many times. John. Saw him many times, mm. many times, yeah. Tipitina's Club. Yeah. yeah, you love it, right? Oh, I love You've been in New Orleans? Mm, I've been there. I haven't done the music thing much. Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. you and John, so, you, was great. it Love at First Sight, or how did that work? That's it, pretty much, yeah. yeah. He walked in the back door. It was a blizzard night. It was the February night. You know, we were doing the set yeah. of Second City, and we were backstage there, and the door flew open, which directed, which directly uh, uh, accessed the alley yeah. there, and it was a step above the little pit where we were working in with our costumes and that, yeah. and, and John appeared. He opened the door, and there was a silhouette there. And yeah. He had, like, a hexagonal driver's cap on, and he had a white cable-knit sweater and a white scarf and a pack of cigarettes and a butt going and, you know, sneakers, totally underdressed for Canada. Yeah. And he came in and, of course, that was, you know, and they needed this, he did the set. I think he hit the wall for us that, that night and everything. You he know? got on stage and did the riffing. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he, he hit the wall for us, I think, yeah. that night. That was his famous thing of coming from, running from the front of the stage, hitting the wall and then sliding down. That was his famous like, thing? Well, everybody did it. Oh. Everybody did it. That was a bit... Sure. That was a bit, yeah. Uh, and Tino and Santa did that. I mean, many people hit who the wall. Are the, who were the, like, when in your recollection of Second City at that time, who were, like, the improvisers that you just, everybody was like, holy shit? Oh, well, Murray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Murray. Oh, God. And Flaherty, Joe Flaherty. Oh, and yeah. Brian Murray, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, Brian, uh, you know, Bill's brother. Very funny. What was it about Bill? Because he doesn't like uh, he, danger, 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 man. You know, but high not, voltage. Uh-huh. You know, the hurricane. Wow, you never knew what was coming next. You know, uh-huh. it could be verbal, it could be physical. It get just beautiful, beautiful excitement. What yeah. about and Candy? Can, Candy was lovely. He yeah. was a lovely improviser because he was so full of so much heart and soul and wild Doctor Tongue. You know, and yeah. uh, and then Intino and Santa, his his beautiful. Uh, friend and, yeah. and partner, you know. Oh, those were those were great times. Great, strong women too. Yeah, yeah. Gilda and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, well, yeah she Rosemary was, Radcliffe, yeah. Catherine O'Hara. Oh, Catherine, so uh, amazing. Yeah, man. and Betty Thomas, who went oh, on to direct yeah. a, a sure. directing Broadway. Betty Thomas. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that was quite the crew. Did you were you involved in the Lampoon Hour as well? Uh, you know what? Um, I guessed it on a record. Yeah, uh, produced right. by Chris Guest. I, I played drums, and I think I did a. Was that the Lemmings record? Uh, I think it was. No, it was another it was Lampoon, Lampoon record. Okay. Yeah. But you see, that's why John can come up to Toronto, and he did succeed in getting Gilda to go back down to New York to work on uh, Lem- on Lemmings and yeah. work. 
and we'll work on Lampoon Radio and, and their records and that. But I didn't want to leave Toronto. I had a good racket going, man. With I had the five oh five speakeasy because what was it? well everything closes at one o'clock in Toronto yeah. did at the time. Yeah. Where's a streetcar driver or a cop or a waiter or waitresses or somebody off duty? Where are they gonna get a drink? Well, we supplied that for them. When we left, there was a wall high, uh there was a just a wall of bottles that went up seven, eight feet high. So you just were an all cash business selling all cash, liquor? Yeah, yeah, we did that. We did that and then uh, and then I had Second City and yeah. I had a radio business with Dave Thomas. We so didn't want to go. Com- I didn't want to go. I had a radio commercial business yeah. with Dave Thomas. I was at Second City. And I was on a, uh, uh, an afternoon uh, sitcom for kids called Coming Up Rosie. And I had the speakeasy. I had all these little hustle, so the, hustles going. I, I didn't want to move. I, radio, was, I was set up. Yeah. You had a radio ad business or it was almost uh, like, Yes, ra- radio ads. We so wrote radio just, ads. Okay. Yeah. And so companies yeah. would come to you and go. That's right. Yeah, write us a 30, write us a 60. Yeah, so yeah. for Canada, you were doing great. Doing great. I was making more than the prime minister made one yeah. year. You know, how old were you? Twenty two, twenty one. Uh, right about that. Yeah. And so, what what eventually gets you to go to New York? SNL final, the final offer. Okay, uh-huh. you're in. So I, uh, I there was a uh, wonderful actor and improviser named Ben Gordon, and mm-hmm. I remember I had to pick something up at the f- the fire hall where Second City ended up. And, yeah. And so I pulled up in my 1971 XOPP uh, Harley Davidson FLH. Uh, with the saddlebags all packed, and I get uh, in front of the building there, and That's Ben Gordon's right. there, my buddy, and you know he's like the last person to see me before I go off to SNL, and I wave to him, and I, I hit the highway. Yeah, on and, the bike. On the bike, and I'm riding down the highway, down high, highway over 90, then to Highway 81, southbound on 81, yeah. and I'm driving along, and I'm thinking, wow, the future's ahead of me. This yeah. is wonderful, and I'm on the bike. Right. And then I see a station wagon full of, uh, like a family passing yeah. me, you know, and, yeah. and, and they're, they're passing me and, and they're waving. Yeah. <laughs> they're waving. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, and they, they, now this is before yeah. I'm known or anything. Yeah. And, and then another car goes by. It's a young couple in a sports car. Yeah. <laughs> and they're pointing at me yeah. and waving. What the? And then in the third, and I, by the time I look back at my saddlebag, I'm full on fire back there. <laughs> <laughs> There's flames. I had an old chessboard, you know, in my chess set. It was yeah. a cardboard chess, and it hit the muffler. It was burning off the muffler. It had a yeah. canvas saddlebag. And that thing, it, was, it looked like just <laughs> rooster tail of, yeah. of flames. Like, yeah. I, I looked like a rocket car. Yeah. So, geez, I pull over, and a, and a couple of bikers, they were from the Breed Motorcycle Club. I rem- I'll remember that yeah. because I wrote a paper on bikers in college. But... Uh, and you uh, did? Yeah, what did you write? What was that about? Uh, well, just the the society, the culture and, uh, of it. Was yeah. it before? Well, and I because Hunter had already written Hell's Angels. Well, then, and Eve Leving is a great reporter for mm. the, for that there. But but uh, but the breed, they gave me some oil and they hosed me down and they sent me on my way. And then I pulled into Manhattan or to the George Washington Bridge. It was about midnight. And I come across the George Washington yeah. Bridge, and all of my electrics cut out on the oh, motorcycle. On the Harley? On the Harley. All oh. of the electrics cut yeah. out. And uh, there's no breakdown lane on the George Washington Bridge. No, there, there is no. no. You do, do, don't have a place to go. No. So I had to unwire the front, the headlight, and go out with pliers and a screwdriver and rewire the thing with oh. transports whipping by. Oh, thanks. So I get into the uh, I get into the city, and I don't know which way I'm going. I just take the first exit. I end up in the depths of Harlem. And one-way streets with people saying, yeah. hey, one-way, man, one-way, one-way. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm yeah. driving. Trying to... Finally, I get downtown, and I, I get to a, a bar, and yeah. I see a bar in the West Village there, and there's all these beautiful Harleys all lined up. And, <laughs> and I pull at the bar, and I back in, and I go in, and I look, and there's guys dressed exactly like me, black jeans, black, you know, yeah. Leather shirt, jacket. Black, leather jacket with, with ne- neckerchiefs yeah. hanging out of their pockets, different <laughs> colored neckerchiefs. Coming, you know, I've got a, a red one there because right. of the change in the oil. And sure. I go in and I have a beer and, you know, and, 
and uh, you know, and they one of them said, "Ah, oh, police bike," and we're talking bikes and everything. Yeah. And then I, I, I get some change. I call John and I say, uh, "So, John, I'm down the street here at this bar." Uh, you know, and he says, "What bar is that? <laughs> that's the one on the corner with all the motorcycles." Yeah, that's 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 like just that's the heavy metal gay biker bar of the city. Yeah, and uh, I said, "Yeah, well, I'm I'm here and I'm, I'm in a beer and I'll." He says, "So, well, come on over and you know it." It was. I, I looked just like all those guys, you know. And 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 in the end, Harley riders are Harley riders, man. We're just talking about bikes and stuff, and and so that was my sort of first welcome into into Manhattan. Yeah. yeah. And so what what? How did it shift? That you know, how did Lauren decide to put you on the show? Uh, I think the basis of the audition tapes and, yeah. the, and some writing pieces and um, an appeal, a last minute appeal from three people, and they would have not have. I would not have been, have been on there if it weren't for the lobbying of Gilda uh-huh. Radner. Uh, Tom Davis and Senator Al Franken. The three of them lobby. They say, you got to have Ackroyd. They got to. Yeah, 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 yeah. When you started, when I talked to Lorne, and I've talked to Al Franken several times as well, it, it seems like that, uh, you know, it, it was sort of a very um, uh, engaged ensemble of people in terms of the creative process. That that first season was like just crazy, right? P- staying up all night, working shit out. We had a schedule. It was this, I don't know if it's the same there now. Um, I'll get to the what I feel about the show now, and it's just nothing but enthusiasm and joy. It's been so great. But we, uh, and the Monday, we'd pitch the ideas. Tuesday, go away, think about them, write them. Uh, Wednesday, blah, Wednesday, read them through, rewrite them Wednesday, then shoot them uh, for blocking Thursday and Friday, then three shows on Saturday, basically, a dry run, dress rehearsal, and show. And the thing was, we just all gelled. We just, there were frictions and everything, but we understood each other's humor, even though we came from different worlds, you know? Yeah. 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 And uh, it was just, we appreciated each other's gifts, you know? The brilliance of Schiller and, and, and Zwei Bell and Michael O'Donoghue. And, Michael O'Donoghue, you know? man. I, you know, it's like that guy, like, he blew my mind when I was young, because I was like 13 when you guys were doing that first season. You've got about 11 years on me. So, like, he was really fucking with my head. And, you know, anything o- O'Donoghue would do, I'm like, what is this guy? I doing precision writing he taught me discipline in writing he taught me, really? he taught me pre- precision and, and format and and laying out beats you know he was he was really uh he but was he was really like his, his humor kind of cut deep and dark and out there man right oh yeah oh uh, yeah absolutely but you kind of do some of that stuff too i remember like on the i got this that stuff like landed in my head so hard that first season basomatic was yeah. that first season? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know that that's dark humor. That's it's just not dark, a, but it's just like how oh, we did got that letters. Happen? We got letters about the fish. You can't put a fish. You can't do it. You, you know what? How could you do that to a fish? Well, the fact that I met her, I was, I was t- ten years before. I was thirteen years old. Yeah. I was at my aunt's house in uh, in in Quebec, there near Montreal, and my yeah. aunt my aunt was the Julia Child of Canada. Oh, really? Her name was Helene Goujon, and she had her own shop, her own uh-huh. radio show, TV show, uh-huh. cooking show. She's the first. She's uh, your aunt. She, she was my aunt. Yeah. yeah, she's deceased now. God, she's a wonderful woman. She brought the first cuisinier into Canada, and so one night we're sitting uh, at her place on the river near uh, Montreal, there, and. Uh, and I see uh, the blender going, and I yeah. see her pop a whole trout into the blender and hit the button. <laughs> I said, Aunt Helen, what about the eyes, the head, the bones? Go, oh, it's a bouillabaisse. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's supposed to be in there. It's supposed to be in there. What? And that shot, I was, what? Whoa. So later, the French 10 years later, they use everything. They, they use it. And yeah. she hit the blender and the thing liquefied. So 10 years later, I'm with Lauren and Paul Simon and Chevy yeah. Chase, and we're having dinner at Elaine's. And, uh, you know, and they say, well, you know, they're talking about he's cooking that fish up there. And he said, I hope he uses a basomatic, you know. Oh, yeah. And what was, you know, and, and, uh, you know, yeah, that's where you put the, and basomatic somehow Paul, he laughed at that. Yeah. 
Yeah. He laughed and he laughed and he was doubled over. I think he lost like, you know, lost it. And I thought, wow, you know, Paul's one of the most brilliant people alive. Yeah. And, and if I can get a laugh like that out of Paul Simon, I'm writing yeah. this thing up. Right. So I wrote it up. And But it seemed like you guys were having a fucking great time. We were, It was hard. It was video commando time. You know, there was a lot of stress and, uh, you know, it was, it, it got to a point where I had to kind of get a little upset there and I was because we were we were writing the show and then the card people couldn't keep up now the show is red yeah. if you're going that fast you have to have cue cards and, why they, did, and why? they were coming to me and saying Dan we can't take these pages from the writers at the last minute and, and put them up they just won't get up there yeah so I led a little revolution and you know and but we, what, we were what, able to slow that process down let me ask you a question though you, since you, know, you were the front like the, the cards have always been red and and you know why because you're going fast, you're you're cutting five cameras, and you you, you and the cameras cut on cue. They cut yeah. on words. Yeah, and and also you're you're moving fast, and uh, and you've got you not know, enough time to memorize shit. It, it doesn't it, help. Some it, well, it helps to memorize, and people do memorize, and I memorize. But you know, when you gotta go to the cards, they're there for you. Yeah, they those guys and and ladies, they're they're just heroes on SNL. They're beloved, and they're just it's a sharpie on a card. But boy. You know, if you're doing a rap that has to go fast, or if you're doing update or something, yeah. it's just it's just a boon to have them. You know, yeah. teleprompters don't work because because the the, the card holders they're they're human. They, they have control. They, they, they can hear they you. can feel the yeah. rhythms. Right. They can see you said you. They, right. they can they feel when you're going to get to the end of a line. The card is whipped away. They can yeah. feel when you're approaching the top of the line. You're at the middle of the line. The card it can be moved. They feel the rhythm of the whole piece, and they, you know, they they get that about the actors really a wonderful interplay yeah and to make it happen but when you and like it wasn't like you were on camera with belushi a ton that first season or the first two seasons right mm, but you guys were yeah. pals right all oh yeah in, and did you share a dressing a writing room or did you share we shared a we shared a room with yeah. bunk beds and a couple of desks yeah oh yeah we shared a writing room and, and then i was living for almost the, the whole of the first year well let me see at least four months with john and judy so yeah they let me stay at their place <laughs> oh that's you great know. Yeah, she's so, still around, right? Oh yes, Judy's my partner in in Blues Brothers uh, stuff, and yeah, yeah, she's in town here. Just saw her. Yeah, yeah. And we, she's doing all right. She's doing okay. Yeah, she's doing okay. I mean, you know, that was a, that was a tough thing. They were high school sweethearts. I know, and it's so like when when you guys are working together <clears throat> and you see the culture that's sort of happening there uh, with drugs and whatever, but you never you weren't that one in your bag, huh? Well, I mean, back then the greenie was plentiful. Yeah. Right now, if we lit one up, I'd, I'd sneeze. Uh, the ironic thing is the terpenes that give it the taste yeah. is what I look, used to like about it. But if I, I, I I'd like, I, I would be sneezing here. You wouldn't believe that I'd be so loud. The weed's I'd too sneeze, much I, I'd, now, huh? Well, I would, the, the terpenes uh, have produced some allergy in yeah. me, ironic, oh, really? ironically, you know, because yeah. back then, um, never was, you know, back then it was kind of fuel, the greenie, but- yeah. Never was into the coke or yeah. the or the uh, the powders of the pills. That wasn't yeah. my thing. Booze. Um, has, I've never had a problem. Uh, yeah. I was always been able to moderate uh, my my alcohol consumption, uh -huh. and I am in, in that business now. I have a vodka line called Crystal Head Vodka. The Skull Head. The Skull Head. Yeah. Now uh, my uh, my brilliant um, manager, managing partner, yeah. uh, Jonathan. He went to the Schulich uh, School of Business at uh -huh. York University uh -huh. in Toronto. Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, he said, you know, come on and uh, go on and Mark's show and talk about the head, talk about the head. Well, I'm not going to talk about the head. Um, no, no, just to wind him up. <laughs> well, I, I will say that it's, it's crystal head vodka. It's the zero additive vodka. If you want to have a vodka, 
It's the cleanest one on the planet. I know brown spirits are huge. Every bartender and bar chef uses brown spirits, but every bar has to have a, a vodka and why not Crystal Head. You pay a little more for it, but it's only 32 cents more a shot. Here are the notes. Sweet vanilla, dry, crisp with a kick of heat off the finish. That's all I'll say. Moving on what to aviation. The, what's the foundation <clears throat> of the vodka? Is it a potato or a rye? Um, or? Well, so as you ask, uh, it's a we have a corn oh. and a an, an sunset wheat. Uh-huh. What makes my vodka difference is we don't add glycol, we don't add sugar, we don't add uh, terpenes, we don't add any lemonine at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just have the good old Newfoundland water, which comes from the glacier that melted into the province, and it's sitting underneath the province, and we have a pipe that goes down into a well, and up it comes, and uh, it's uh, it's just beautiful. I didn't realize vodka is a Russian word for water. So if we start with good water, <laughs> we get there. Yeah, I didn't realize you can make vodka almost out of anything. You, you can grapes, dandelion, rice. Um, oh, oh yeah, potato, sure, yeah, yeah. turnips. Uh, yeah. yeah, but we like that. Our corn is a. Uh, it's called peaches and cream. That's the brand of corn. Yeah. So uh, it's called the peaches and cream corn. It's nice and fat and so you really juicy. In- involved so, it from the ground up here. You go to the place where they make yeah, it. Well, as I yes, I, I I've been twice. I've I've got to get back there. I've been traveling the world selling it for them. In Newfoundland? Yes, Newfoundland, Canada. You know, the people there talk with a beautiful Irish accent. They're lovely, lovely people. I've never been up there. Here it's beautiful. It is spectacular. And, uh, And it's just a colorful, wonderful place. People walk down the street. They're not in their phones, you yeah, know, they're sure. not, they're, they're holding hands, they're talking yeah. to each other. Yeah. So we felt that uh, not only That's the water, but the love of the people, they make it. So I, I've traveled the world selling the thing. I have no problem. I'm able to consume uh, safely, uh, but I encourage anyone who does consume to do so moderately. You know, I mean, I make a, I, it's just like I make a Ducati. I do. I make, I make the best uh, vodka out there, I believe, and Ducati believes they make the best motorcycle. Ducati makes a motorcycle that goes 200 miles an hour. I make a vodka that, sure, after eight shots, you're not going to get a hangover, but I don't recommend drinking that much. You know, <laughs> it's uh, that clean. Well, it? it is, because there's no glycol. Yeah. We're doing well with it. We're having fun, and we're meeting some neat people. And again, we are encouraging sobriety everywhere we go. Well, that's a question. Um, you know. The sort of nice segue is like, you know, when you saw John starting <clears throat> to get out of control, was there just no stopping him? I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a sober guy. I've been sober a long time, so I know the deal. Mm. But were there attempts made? Was it? Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many. Uh, man, uh, yeah. Yeah. We, we flushed a lot of coke down the toilet. <laughs> we intervened, uh, but he'd wriggle away from us. and uh, All through it. Uh, you starting know, he, when? Uh, it, would st- it, it started basically in the... The first year of the show, but mm-hmm. he'd been exposed to it before. That yeah. was the currency of the generation. Yeah, back sure, then. No, I get it. Yeah, it was the yeah the blow was the currency of the yeah. generation. Yeah, and a lot of people were on it, and um, he loved it. And he did. That was what kind of got him got him going. And, yeah, uh, and he just had an addictive personality. And uh, so it's a prolonged heartbreak. Uh, you have uh, you know not well, being able. I think to... I think of him all the time, especially when I go into a house of blues. I think of him all the time because here we built these beautiful blues palaces for yeah. music and fun and he's not how many others still it. around uh there's 13 still yep yeah. yep it's owned by live nation the yeah. great concert company and uh, that was the and, first yeah. big uh, that was a huge business thing for you well i it learned a lot like you've always been a business dude well uh i tell you you know you go into show business even at second city going to the cabaret or working for cbc yeah you have to negotiate your deals you have to know your value yeah you have to manage the money when it comes in um, you know, I've always, you know, it's, it's show business. So I've been in show business a long time and it is a business, you know, you broker your talent, you work with an agent, a broker, and you put the product out there and, and, and sell it. Um, you know, so yeah. it, it's kind of, you know, my, my dad worked for the government. He, he did not have a, 
a, a business sense uh, yeah. in terms of uh, doing that. But, but it seems like you always did. You were <clears throat> in a speakeasy for cops and after hours. That was beautiful, man. The 505. It's still there, 505 Queen Street East. Yeah. What a spot. It's still a speakeasy? No, no. I think some lawyers are in there now. Oh. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, but it just seems like, you know, with the House of Blues deal and, and sort of, you know, the vodka deal that you like making the deals. You like doing the thing. I enjoy with the people that I work with because of the creativity, how smart they are. How the, the the crews, like the House of Blues staff, man, they're amazing. They love working there. And then these creative people I was involved with, with Tigret and yeah. and all the people that founded it. And then the fun yeah. of going to, for instance, the House of Blues in Vegas with the greatest view of the Strip yeah. at the, Havle, uh, the foundation room at the Mandalay Bay. Sure. Going there, hanging there, ordering a vodka, having 50 people for dinner. Yeah. You know, friends and partners and thinking, wow, I mean, didn't Elvis live like this? Uh-huh. Didn't Frank Sinatra live like this? Didn't, you know, staying up till three in the morning, yeah. going to shows, playing shows, playing a concert with Jimmy and going upstairs and partying at the three in the morning at the yeah. nightclub that we have an ownership in, yeah. you know, drinking fluid that we're making it. Wow, how grateful I am. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's great. I, I was, you have a great life. I was most certainly, we all do living in the Western world. We, we sure. kind of born you in the Weren't you living here. out in Nantucket for a while? Uh, Martha's Vineyard. Martha's I, Vineyard. I, that's my primary residence oh, in you the, still the there? U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I see my dad a lot in Canada because he's 98, as I yeah. said. But, but you love and, the, the uh, vineyard. Love the vineyard. Love the vineyard. That's yeah, great. It's yeah. like a, it's, a, its own ecosystem out there. It's, it's own be, world. I love the Northeast. I love I love the history in Boston. I love uh, yeah. yeah it's I love the, the terrain up there is pretty. Yeah. No, yeah. it's beautiful. Love the, the coast. coastline. Yeah. Up in up in the Maine, even it's great. Beautiful place. So so you're on. You did SNL for like four or five years. Four years, seventy four to seventy five, and then we wrote the blues brothers and we had to leave to complete the blues Brothers. so oh so john was there that long too yes yeah 74 75 well he, he left to do animal house so he was there for, gone for a few months and lorne uh you know john left to do animal house they offered yeah. me the part of d-day yeah and i i just i just couldn't leave ultimately i couldn't leave lorne shorthanded with a not with a well, short of a writer and yeah. short of a, i knew it would i knew that he didn't want me to go in a in, in the worst way and i yeah. knew it would hurt the enterprise a bit and I was—I knew I made the right decision there. I knew. Well, it was that. nice. Did absolutely. Lauren appreciate that? Uh, all the time, man. To this day, absolutely. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so okay, so you then you and John put together the Blues Brothers. We trip. did, and we couldn't stay at the show be- then because we were shooting. The shooting went over into the fall in uh, for the first in Chicago, movie. and then we, then we went over into the yeah, and went over into the you know kind of fall, and, and then you know kind of winter into the. So we had to be in L.A., and it just was time to leave, you know. And that was huge, right? The Blues Brothers did okay. It was a it was a box office hit, uh, and uh, went on to, I think, uh, some people credit it with reviving the careers of these great artists. Who for Steve me, and Duck and uh, oh well, Matt Guitar Murphy, mm, yep, yeah, and, and and Aretha and Ray Aretha, who were recording and yeah, performing, but sure. it, I, it helped boost it with an audience that might have been uh, less familiar. I think was and Cab Calloway, in it Cab too? Calloway, and James Brown became yeah, one of my James best Brown, friends. Yeah. I mean, or I, I, call, I say, oh, <laughs> I don't know if he thought that about me, but yeah. I certainly thought that about him. Uh, he opened five nightclubs with us, and uh-huh. uh, he did two movies, three movies with me, Doctor Detroit, uh, and um, uh, the uh, first Blues Brothers on the second. So you were able to have a real relationship? with Oh, that we guy. had five. Yeah, I went to his birthday party in Augusta, Georgia, and. And hung with him uh, many times. So yeah. once John was out here and you kind of went your own way. You, you... Well, John died in 82 right. after the movie. So that was kind of a blow and I didn't know what quite what to do with that. With that. But uh, but I then re- I managed to, you know, pick things up. And, I remember and, the and, picture and of you the writing per- leading the procession. Right, right. On the bike. Yeah, had to be. that had to be done. I mean, it had to be done. 
Like I just like that was such a. Power- John loved Harleys. He loved riding together. So yeah, yeah and, you know, a powerful yeah. image, dude. Sure, sure. That was a tough. Was a tough day. Tough day for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, he was thirty three. Oh my god. Yeah, and, and when I do born in Chicago now, I sing the old Nick Gravenitis Paul Butterfield tune. I. I I love that song. I sing that song and I say, and my second friend went down when he was 33 years of age. And the one thing you can say about that boy, he made the front page. Yeah. And he was on all the front pages. I had to run from uh, from our office where I was working on Ghostbusters and typing a line of his. And I get the call from Bernie Brillstein that he was gone and I had to run. I remember it was a brilliant March day, severe clear, like yeah. they say in aviation. And I ran. And I, there was the news. It was just hitting the newsstands. I had to run to Judy to let her know before anybody else did. That was a long run. I ran down from Fifth uh, Avenue and uh, 23rd Street all the way down had to she Morton, heard yet? Morton Street. No, no. I walked in. She was just getting breakfast, and I, I, I had to tell her. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I guess kind it's... kind of, we you know, sort of, oh, no, we all sort of. If he knew, he knew he was kept going. It might go like that, but there was always a hope that he he, he would he would you know. Yeah, I think if he was a, alive today, he'd be a, a director on Broadway. He'd be doing theater. Yeah, he'd be he'd be yeah he'd have a production with theater production company. He'd be he'd be doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, you know, back to the you know the work of the hard nitty gritty actor. You know, he yeah. he loved that. I I was in college my freshman year of college when it happened. I was devastated. I I, I loved the guy. I didn't know him, but I was a big fan. Oh, it was fun. We we uh, we went up to Boston once to to uh, to sell a, a, the record, the Saturday Night Live record. Yeah. We went on radio on that. And yeah, we're driving around the town. We pull over to a, pull over to a a corner, and there's a elementary school there, yeah. a four story elementary school. And, yeah, and John gets out and he goes to the front window, you know, and yeah. uh, and starts doing you know stuff, and people start recognizing him, and then second floor, third floor, fourth floor, he had the whole school screaming at him at time, by the time we left the, <laughs> yeah. the place, you know? Yeah. And his performance in Animal, Animal House is outstanding. It's crazy. And his performance in the Blues Brothers oh, is meticulous, meticulous. When he says to the guy at Bob's Country Bunker, yeah. uh, I, uh, <clears throat> of course, will be paying for those beers. I, I usually sit in the car and, and write the check out on the dashboard. <laughs> you know, uh, I will be right back. You know, it's just a master, <laughs> master comedian. Yeah, and to, get, to see, get to know him and be with him for eight years, what, what a privilege and a pleasure that and an honor. with Carrie Fisher under the, in the tunnel? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's great. We lost, we lost her, too. That, yeah. uh, that, was a, that was a complete shock. What a brilliant, wonderful person. Yeah. Oh, you used to be together, kind of. We were to get married we yeah. had blood tests rings the whole thing and uh and we fell deeply in love and and then you know then uh we left the blues brothers set and yeah. we, we took a learjet yeah john and judy and uh carrie and i and we yeah. flew to martha's vineyard in the middle of the night and i was going to show carrie the home where we we're going to live forever yeah. this is where we're going to live it's we i just bought this i had i told judy just buy me a house there yeah. i don't care if it's on the ocean just as long as it has nice views yeah so judy said i found a house yeah. it's not quite vineyard style it's not cape cod so we pull up to this house in the middle of the night you know yeah <laughs> and there's carrie and i'm sort of almost carry her over the threshold yeah. don't take her but we get inside and it, it's all kind of it looks like fred flintstone's cousin built, built it it's got you know <laughs> stone fireplaces that, that but fine and, and then all this modern kind of uh, eames furniture and stuff and and I don't know, it just struck her as wrong, wrong, yeah, wrong, right, you know. Right. And I said, uh, well, apparently there's a beautiful 
beautiful view, a beautiful view. And the night went badly. And the next morning I hear her on the phone with Paul Simon and she said, I got to go back to Paul. I have to, yeah, I got to go. So I drive her to the airport. It's, I wake her up at 930 in the morning. She, she wakes me up and I, I go to, I get in the Jeep, you know, and, and it's fog is set in around this house. And, and so I drive her to the airport and finally the fog clears yeah. and the plane's able to take off. She says, oh, it was great. Thank you. I'll, I'll call you. We'll be in, you know, she flies back to New York to Paul who, you know, she was with after that. Paul Simon. Yeah. And I go back and I'm, well, I, I loved her and I, I'm a little brokenhearted, but it's kind of, I, maybe this is best for her and all of us. Yeah. And I drive back in the Jeep to the, the vineyard house and by now the fog has lifted. And I get to the top of the hill and I find out that it's a 1959 Usonian house de- designed by Hideo Sasaki. It's a beautiful, oh, glass paneled walls. Uh-huh. And it looks out over the sound, and there's a, like a hundred mile view, and yeah. you can see the sea from everywhere, from five different angles. Yeah. And I thought, boy, if she'd seen this view, I don't think she would have left in the morning. We might have gotten married, you know. <laughs> yeah. 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 You, is that the house you still have? Yeah. Yeah. I live there. My uh, live there. You know, when I can get to it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my daughters own it. They own everything now. I've given everything to. Oh, them really? Too. Oh, of course. How old are they? I've got a daughter, Danielle. Uh, she uh, records and performs yeah. uh, and is a writer and performer. And then I have a daughter, Belle, and I've got a daughter, Steli, who's my writing partner. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you still seem to, you show up in things and, you know, the Ghostbuster franchise is still kicking. Yes, they haven't shown me a thing because, uh, you know, this they know I'll talk about it. The uh, third one? Yeah, yeah. They, uh-huh. they haven't, I'm, I'm saying, show me some stuff. Some, no, 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 because they know I'm going to be bragging about it. But uh, we're getting excellent feedback from those who, who, uh, who, have, who have seen it. Yeah. And who are, What's who your know. involvement in it? Just as a producer or how uh, does that work? I was, uh, I was uh, well, let's say major cheerleader because it's, you know, it's the, it's the old family franchise. Sure. Uh, I suggested some ideas uh, to Jason. Yeah. And I uh, did a little writing on it, but it was basically Did Jason him. direct the last one? No. No, that was Paul Feig. Feig, right. Yeah. The women's movie was really funny yeah. and really good and some great ghosts and a great villain in the end with the red bow tie. I just should have been watching this, the dollars and cents more as a producer. But on this one, we did watch the dollars and cents. What's the angle on this one? And this, sh- one, this one transfers the DNA of the first two movies to the to the third group and uh and jason's written it and it's really really good uh, jason and yeah. bill and so i uh i showed up to uh, play a part uh he he wrote up some scenes in there which uh, helped feed the story so mm-hmm. i agreed to uh to now jason like is he someone that you saw grow up from yeah. being a little yeah, he was baby on the and... set yeah he was on the he's in the second <laughs> he's in the second movie yeah he's the one who gives us uh he gives a shit at the bar, the uh, at the the uh, the party, the birthday party. Yeah, I've talked you know? to him and Ivan. I talked to Ivan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was nice. So, like, after SNL, and you do, you know, the big hit was like it was Trading Places, really, right? I mean, that was a huge. That, well, I think that you know the the, the I love the, Neighbors, the, by the way. Yeah, that was a that was a <laughs> um, a Thomas Berger book that was adapted, uh, yeah. and John Aptet and I kind of turned it into a screenplay. And uh, there's some neat, bizarre stuff in there. We we should have uh, I don't know. We we switched parts. Maybe we should have just kept the. It was parts. just an odd movie. It was odd. The book was odd, but yeah. uh, but I I think uh, that character and John's character, he was so funny and cute. And that had uh, would it have made more money and done better had we switched parts back? Yeah. And if I'd been the villain, uh, if I'd been the meek guy and he'd been the villain, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, Trading Places, great collaboration with Eddie Murphy, and then we had the Ghostbusters movies and uh, sure, Spies yeah. Like Us, which was a wonderful uh, collaboration with Chevy and yeah, uh, yeah. 
and uh, with my wife Donna. Did you always like Chevy? Oh yeah, so I love Chev. Chevy and I, uh, when we first met in New York, got on tremendously. I loved him. He was so funny, and he was my biggest supporter. Man, he just he just kind of got what I was doing, and and you know he was always lobbying for me and and was uh, behind what I was up to. He there was, was a uh, weird. He, uh, he was very very. He was an ally of mine. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because there was a weird like I, I I was there bad blood when he left after the first season. Nobody wanted him to go right. uh, because he was a big star on the show. We felt that might hurt us. Yeah. Maybe there were some personnel that were happy he left, but. I yeah. think that he left too early. I, I'm sorry he left. Now I'm even sorry he left. We'd have had, we'd have had fun, but what did it get us? Murray came on then. Yeah, you see, Murray and you knew him from oh back. man, we were well, from a day day one from when I got hired. Yeah, it was like, can we bring Murray too? Yeah, and uh, and and oh yeah, Murray Murray was introduced me to in Second City when he was my chaperone when yeah. I went there, and uh, Billy, uh, yeah, so he came on and then look at the work he did. Oh, Are you still God. friends? I, I hope so. <laughs> no. <laughs> We are. We are. We saw each other on the set, uh, GB there, and uh, yeah, we're 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 as close as brothers can be. Yeah, I guess, and brothers can sometimes drift and and be close, and uh, but uh, no, there's never been a, a major rift with us. It I seems like your relationship with the SNL is not it's not only nostalgic, but you seem to keep up with it all the way through. Yeah. What I do hope, you think I of the show so. now? I love it. I think it's really because really you said you wanted to talk uh, about really that. great. Yeah, Kate McKinnon as the devil. That was yeah, that, that was that great. Was the, the double over how the writing is really really sharp. Of course, they've got a lot to write about now. Yeah. Uh, and uh, no, I love the the cast members now. They're they're really outstanding. They did a Eddie was on there, and they did a, a spectacular scene. About oh, that was the, something. Yeah. The uh, the uh, you know the cake making. Oh contest. yeah, I saw that. that yeah, was, it was very funny. I mean, really funny. Yeah, all I, funny. Oh, it's just terrific. Yeah, it seems like it goes up and down. It was so funny because when I interviewed Lorne, you know, mm -hmm. I had this weird, uh, you know, agenda because I had gotten as far in the audition process for SNL as to meet with him, and then I did not get the gig uh -huh. many years ago. Uh -huh. So I wanted closure on that, and he was <laughs> he was nice enough to walk me through what he believes might have happened then, yeah, <laughs> uh, which was great. But also he brought it to my attention, and I, you know, I think a lot of people do at my age where. I said, you know, because your season, the first season or the first couple, it's sort of mythological. Like it's a, it has a mythic presence. You know, but in his mind, as a guy who's been walking those halls for 40 years or whatever, and is it, it's like, that was a good one, but mm -hmm. we've had other good ones. Like, oh, he no, no. He's, he's right there with them. I would say, you know, he's right there today um, feeling the same way he did about most affectionately and, and admirably about all. He yeah. loves all his children equally. You think so? I and, do, and, I do. And what about the environment? All the, the way through, like all the way through. The, Every that, year, year, there's something there that that is salvageable for him, and now he's on a real uh, triumph with uh, this magnificent cast that he's crazy, got. That's crazy, right? And writing. Do you talk to him? Uh, yeah, I spoke to him. Uh, I was supposed to go in and do something there, but I had a... Another thing that uh, couldn't make it out, I, you know, couldn't get out of it. Yeah, but you guys are good. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. And that environment that that yeah, everyone talks about. Either you can ha you can either you can cut it or you can't. It's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty competitive. And uh, and it always immediate. was. Yes, yes, it always was. Um, but in the end, we all pulled together as a team, and and uh, that's what that's what makes it work. You know, because yeah. there's a, uh, there aren't that many dissenters. Oddly, I, I haven't talked to you know, the, mm, yeah. some people have chips on their shoulders, but most of the people that survive SNL think it was one of the greatest experiences of their life. Well, I sure, I sure must say so. Yeah, yeah. And how how did you figure out that you might have uh, uh, the Aspergers? 
Oh, that's self-diagnosed. I don't. I don't know. I've never really gone to a medical professional. Oh, really? about I don't it. know. I think that's probably uh, more. Um, I don't know. Some early trauma producing like Tourette's like symptoms. You had that, right? I had some early trauma. I had some trauma in in uh, elementary school with a particularly abusive teacher. Really? I, I think that set me to where I I got you know I I do. You Did know, you tell your parents about it? Uh, they sent me to a, a psychologist. I, I was in therapy uh, between the ages of, uh, oh my God, let's see now, 10 to, to 15. What was the trauma? Um, a physical abuse uh, with uh, a ruler, oh. uh, uh, pointer, uh-huh. uh, knuckles. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. For, for every day at school? Um, mostly. Mm-hmm. Catholic school? Yeah, uh, well, yes, it was. Hmm. And you feel that that triggered the, the... It may have, yeah, because I got ticks and I got, you know, and the barkings and, and no kind kidding. of... A, yeah, yeah. And it, it really it set me off. And, and uh, you know, I was a quirky little kid. Yeah, yeah, already. What were the beatings for? Was he doing it to other kids? Um, well, um, I won't say whether it was male or female. Uh, no, no. no I was Just the, you? I, I was the one that was picked that year, yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. 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 So and then you went to therapy and you. Um, well, you know my my well, yeah. Going even going to that school, my yeah. my here, you know the old story. Oh, when I was a kid, I yeah. used to have to walk three miles sure. through sure. the snow to get to school. Well, guess what? I did. <laughs> I was seven, eight years old. My yeah. mother would set me out the door. Yeah. In at at, at, at in the at seven eight eight years old, I would yeah. go at the back door into yeah. the woods into the Gatineau Park. Yeah. Go down a path. Yeah. Where the timber wolves were howling, yeah. in, in a, like a half mile away, go up under the hydro lines, down this steep, steep rocky cliff to a creek that was there, hmm. and that creek was one that my dad, as the engineer, had built for drainage. And I said, "Can you put a bridge there?" He said, "We'll put a bridge, but not where you cross. It'll be where most people cross." <laughs> so he did put a bridge cr- there, but it was too far to walk. Right. So I go down in the snow, and then I try to get across, and there was always like a board or something. Inevitably, I'd fallen into my waist. Yeah. Then I'd go across this busy highway up into the neighborhood where the French-Canadian kids picked on me because I was English. They'd try to grab my books. They'd try to attack me. By the time I got to school, I was soaking wet, traumatized, and then I get in class, and this person goes after me physically. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. Know, Not a good day. Flat. Every day, a shitty day. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was bad in yeah. that one grid that one year, yeah. So Terrible. In but the, I, I diagnosis, that's my own diagnosis. I got a lot of other things. I'm a, I, I definitely know that I'm a, um, I'm a heterochromiac, uh, heterochromiac um, syndactylite. What I, is that? I know for sure. What is it? That is a person with two different colored eyes and webbed toes. Oh, you have the webbed I, toes. I, yeah, I'm one. There's seven billion of us on the planet now. I think there's two of yeah. us, yeah. Two, two, two that have both those things. Oh, really? I don't Do you know, know the other guy? I don't know. <laughs> I wish I could. It's just two people became priests out of 5,000 at yeah. the elementary yeah, school, and then the, no, two no. people get the wet toes and the weird I, I am. I know that. I know that I'm not. Well, that's special. I know that I'm not, yeah. <laughs> what else do you know? Uh, I don't know. What else What else uh, diseases? I guess I'm pretty clear. You're doing otherwise. good? Oh, good. Yeah. So now getting through, like, you know, talking about, uh, you know, spiritualism, what, what kind of gets you through the environment we live on now? It seems like you're awfully busy and you've got a busy brain and you're interested in a lot of stuff. I just, but... I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, just trying to be as loving as I can to my fellow human being. And, yeah. and I'm trying to recognize that every human I meet, even if it's just, you know, Getting a burger across, uh, you know, in and out, uh, you know that that's a person with feelings yep. and with, uh, you know, senses, and that there's something going on in their lives, 
And if I can make a pleasant moment for that person, it, like sometimes I get people come up with selfies and that. Yeah. I, I, I got to, how can I turn that down? That's, that's like, you know, this is a moment I want them to remember and go yeah. away with a pleasant thing. What's going on in their life? I, I want to be treated that way. That's a great Christian value. Be treated as you wish you, you should be treated. And, you know, I try to live my life that way. I'm, I'm not a perfect man. I'm a deeply, deeply flawed human being. However, uh, I, I think I'm on the right side of most issues morally and spiritually. And I look to not necessarily God, but yeah. I look to the cosmic engineer. Uh-huh. I do sometimes cast my eyes to the sky and say, oh, Lord, can I get some help here? Yeah. Uh, I believe that we can all call upon that as universal energy. Just open your top of your head to it and say, I just need a little inspiration, a little help. Mm. I'm going through a lot. Yeah. Power of the universe, visit me. You know. Yeah. So that's kind of where I'm at uh, in terms of you know, uh, a spiritual pursuit. Mm. I don't think formal religion has done us well. And so uh, I'm I'm a severely lapsed Catholic. Sure, you know. mixing it up. But fascinated with the Vatican, of course, and Rome Ooh, and the two popes. The and deep the, magic. The new pope and the, yeah. The deep, dark magic. It, I went in there. There was one of the most frightening places. Dude, ever. there's a lot, frightening. Of, a lot of dead wizards around. Massive a lot of pictures dead of wizards. the popes. And I'm thinking, I'm a peasant. It's 1598. Yeah. I'm going in. I'm yeah. bringing my grain in. Yeah. Oh, oh, I'll bring more grain next year. No, that's exactly it. I've oh. said the same thing. You visit those cathedrals. You look up and you're like, oh, my God. Oh, it, it's like... How's that not going to brain fuck you into believing? Those, the design the of Vatican, all- The Vatican's the king daddy place the, of it all. Yeah, I know. But like any of those churches in Italy, dude, any yeah. of them. Yeah. They're, they're all mind-blowing. Beautiful, beautiful, and yes, And just littered yes, with, yeah. with the magical yeah. corpses. Yeah. And <laughs> bits and pieces of people. Yeah, uh, Relics. Sure. Yeah. There's yeah. full-on witchcraft in that religion all the time. Oh, Deep. no doubt. No doubt. Absolutely. It's all. It's, it's hoochie-boochie. It's myth. Hoochie-boochie. What are my and, presents? Are these my presents? Oh, uh, yeah. I got a... Uh, this is a Ray Stance Ghostbusters doll. Oh, thank you. And it's a real cute one. Okay, <laughs> thank you. That's, uh, that's, that's a great. neat little... Yeah. I love it. And then, I don't know. Is this... I shouldn't give this to you because it's plastic. That's all right. But what does that it, mean? But it is. Oh. Well, it's it's a Stay Puffed uh, water Oh, bottle that's great. Water with, uh, that you can put ice cubes in. Oh, thank but you. But nobody... I mean. What are we oh, gonna it's do got about the plastic? little. Oh, what are we gonna do about plastic? What are we gonna do about plastic? Uh, so it's you the, know, uh, I know, and uh, here's um, Your my family book. business. And Just, if you do play uh, a record uh, from time to time, I got an artist named Vera Sola, V E R A S O L A. She's a protest singer, I could call her, and she's written a song about the extinction of the black rhino. And it's uh, called Black Rhino Enterprises. And I know it's on Spotify. It's oh, on Apple. Oh, check it out. Black so, Rhino Enterprises. And all, all her music on Spotify and Apple. Really powerful songwriter, crunch guitar composer, uh, Vera Sola, V-E-R-A-S-O-L-A. So the, Big the, fan of hers. Great. I'll check that out. And, and you consider it the history of ghosts. This is the family business. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah. Mediumship through the ages. Yeah. Is there? I'm not. A, I'm not gifted. I'm not a medium. I've never channeled. You are. I've seen you do twelve. This I've not never channeled the thing except uh, digestively. So no, I mean. you've channeled things. You channel things all the time. Now, but that's the question. You see how how versatile you are at moving through voices and feeling beings within you, even though they're popular beings that we've all grown to love through other mediums and and their impressions. But is there a, an element of hucksterism in this? In this pursuit, oh Dan. yes, oh there's oh it's pointed out in the book. All, all the fakes are in there too. Okay. All the hoaxes, all the fakes. <laughs> okay. Sometimes what happened is you know you'd have a very gifted medium like Eusapia Palladino. She produced e- ectoplasm, but then later in her life her gifts left her and she had to fake it. That's uh huh. That's what uh, she what, produced ectoplasm. Uh, she did. What does so, that mean? Uh well it's it's in the book there. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a mucus viscous substance. It's like. Uh-huh. Uh, 
Oh, it's, it's, it's psychic, psychic snot. And in fact, I can tell you, no one knew what ectoplasm was before Ghostbusters 1. Yeah. We, we educated the world there. <laughs> Millions of people now know what ectoplasm <laughs> is now because of Ghostbusters 1. And uh, we're going to get into it again in the, in the third movie. All but. right. It was great talking to you. Yeah, guys. well, thanks for uh, having me up in the tower here. Yeah, Beautiful. Man. Now we got to get down. Let me call the guy. Okay, you know what? Uh, next time, let's do it in the silo. You know, for okay. sure. I'll meet you there. I'd love it, man. I'll, I'll rocket car in. Okay, beautiful. Take care. Okay, so that was me and Dan Aykroyd. Again, you know, Crystal Head Vodka is available. And he's also going to be... Uh, in the upcoming Ghostbusters Afterlife as Ray Stance again. Call your friends, check in with your family, stay connected to somebody other than just the information on your phone. Reach out if you're feeling too isolated and too up into your own shit or the darkness is uh, closing in on you yet you're still well. Uh, reach out, man. Talk to a, a friend. Okay? Um, I will now play three chords on my Les Paul Jr. through my 53 Fender Deluxe Amp, 1960 Les Paul Jr. Pretty well cranked. And, uh, and I'll talk to you Thursday. Thank you.